Welcome to Car Wash, the podcast, your source for real stories and real business insights from the experts, both in and out of the car wash industry. So put it in neutral, feed off the brakes, and take your hands off the steering wheel, because here we go. Here is your guide on this journey, David Begin of Begin Insights. Hello, Car Wash Nation. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Car Wash the Podcast, the podcast that makes you a great car washer and a slightly better human being. Speaking of slightly better human beings, my guest today is Brad Mavis. Brad is in charge of many different things. He's a merger and acquisitions expert, helps a lot of people in the auto collision industry. He's done some presentations for the International Car Wash Association, and that's where we met maybe three or four years ago. We've done a couple podcasts with him, but now he's focused on the government loan process, primarily PPP and the other products that are out there for people to take advantage of in their business for uh, getting us through this pandemic, which I'm kind of done with, Brad. I don't know about you, but I am done as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm out here in Southern California. We've been on a perpetual lockdown. Yeah. Like, like 10 months now. Yeah, you guys have certainly been locked down. It's great to have you on the show again today. Thanks so much. You have sort of pivoted in the last year. So you were really focused on mergers and acquisitions. And then you decided people really needed help with the loan process. Kind of give us an idea of your journey in your pivot. Yeah, we've been neck deep in in PPP and government emergency aid for 10 months now. And And there was a moment last year. I think the coolest thing that happened to me is remember back in March, and this is before the PPP, this is before the CARES Act. And and I remember it because it was my daughter's birthday and the world was, I mean, the economy was falling off a cliff. States were shutting down, businesses were shutting down and nobody knew what was going. And I remember this time very distinctly. And so we, because you know we were working as outsourced CFOs for our clients, we were helping with what was called the idea of idle. And this is back when it was this Byzantine, really complex application process with SBA. It was the only government aid out there. And the craziest thing happened. A banker reached out to me and said, hey, listen, I see what you're doing with small businesses. I think it's awesome. I think you should be part of this working group I'm part of. It's a government working group on small business disaster relief and uh, financing. And I said, sure. You know, meanwhile, I'm you know, up to my years in work. And so I, I sign up, I joined this, this working group. And it's a White House working group phone call. And I get on the line. And, and I, I mean, I think White House, I'm thinking like it's some like, you know, it's not really the White House. And I get on the line and, and I kid you not. So this is operator two, three, four, five, six, seven. This call is off the record. I'm going to turn it over to your host, Nicole Frazier, special assistant to the president. Uh, take it away, Nicole. I'm going, wait, how am I on this White House meeting? <laughs> and and so she's on there and it's the White House. It's the SBA. It's the Department of Treasury and it's the Department of Labor. And long story short, they're, they're all completely overwhelmed. This is, remember, this is before PPP, this is before CARES. And basically they're saying, listen, we have all this money, but we have these big, bazookas, but we have no way to funnel into the small business community. So we need your help. We need the private sector's help to help businesses access this emergency funding. And that was that was our aha moment. That was when I realized, my goodness, if the government's overwhelmed, just imagine like how the small business is going to be. And that's when I made a decision. I said, listen, we got to make this our, our primary focus. And, and that, was, that was the start of our PPP journey. Yeah. Yeah. And you've been doing a great job with that. And you've been working with a lot of companies. Needless to say, you've been pretty busy. 
we've been incredibly busy, but I will say it's been the most satisfying work that I've ever done. And I remember there was a point, you know, again, kind of like, you know, April or May and, you know, one of my clients, we manage their corporate development process. That means we work for them to help them identify companies to buy and companies to partner with and companies to add to their nexus. And they're a tech company, they're institutionally backed. And I remember I was talking to the CFO kind of apologizing for not being as present as I normally was. And he said, listen, Brad, he's like, you are doing your life's most important work right now. You know, there are people who you are, you know, truly making life change, you know, life changing, you know, impact for. So he's like, focus on that. We'll take care of this stuff as possible. And so, you know, those words stuck with me because there were some dark days during that time where I remember, you know, thinking, man, no one's going to get money. Business is going to go out. They're going to crumble. Those words kept me focused. And, and it really has been. I mean, it's been some of the most rewarding work I've done. I remember there's this cool time in, in, you know, again, March, April period where a bunch of clients got funded all day one. If you remember back in April, like there was uncertainty, you know, funds ran out. Nobody knew how to get the money. They weren't getting the money. And I remember we would, after like, you know, a couple of six, seven day weeks, 18, 20 hour days, there was a stretch where it was like, like a two, three week stretch where I think I took maybe one day off. And a bunch of companies got funded all kind of on the same day. I remember calling people up and saying, you got a million dollars and you got $750,000. It was, again, it was incredibly rewarding to witness you know, that process. So despite the challenges, it's been, there's a lot that I'm thankful for in the past year. That's great that you're doing that and you're seeing a bigger meaning for what you're doing. So that's great. And it did make a lot of difference. We were all scared out of our minds last year. We didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't, you know, people weren't coming to our business anymore. A lot of car washers were really struggling. And so it did make a big difference, but it almost felt like a free-for-all in that first round. And now we're in round number two. So yeah, I want to spend some time on, on PPP. And I know there are other programs out there, but I think it's important that we spend time on that. But what's different between the first round and the second round? Yeah, you know, the good question. And I think what we learned last round, it was it was chaos. It was, it was as they say, building the airplane as you fly, and it was speed. And it was just go, go, go. Like you said, it was a free-for-all. And I think what we've really learned in the past 10 months is that it really pays to be thoughtful and strategic this time around. Because what happened was the government passed a new aid package at the end of December. And they're already negotiating another new aid package right now as we speak on top of what we did in December. And what Congress did is they increased the flexibility of the programs out there. So whereas before it was kind of like you had to choose, is the PPP best for me? Or you know, is the tax credit best for me? You had to pick one or the other. Well, now they said, listen, all these eight packages that we have, you're eligible for all of them. So you can take all of them, take advantage. It's like a buffet, right? Take all of it, You know, just don't overlap with it. So what we found is that being thoughtful and strategic and looking at all the different options that are out there, that's what we found to be the most effective way to go about it this time. And it's hard, right? It's hard to do that because we're conditioned after last time of go, 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 go. And yet this time around, we're realizing that, man, there's big money to be had if you're just thoughtful and strategic about how, you know, how we're going about doing that. Yeah, I notice there's a lot more stipulations this go around when I'm making my application for PPP in terms of, you know, okay, you got to have a certain business loss. You got to be able to prove your payroll. Where last time they were just trying to get money out as quick as they can. That's a good point, right? So there's a lot more rules around what you qualify for and what you don't. And one of the things the government's done 
and this is different from what they've historically done. You know, what they've done this time is say, hey, there's multiple ways to look at something and there's multiple calculations to make. And you get to choose the one that's most beneficial for you rather than the least beneficial. Normally they say, hey, listen, here's much calculations. You choose the least beneficial one. So that's probably the, you know, one of the bigger changes. What we found is, hey, you know what? It pays to do all these different calculations. Take the PPP2, for example. There's a lot of what I would call branches in that process. So for example, most people know you have to have a 25% reduction in revenues in order to qualify. Well, so there's a lot of ways to kind of come up with that 25% reduction. And the government says, use the one that fits for you. So you could look at it on an annual basis, or you could look at it on a quarterly basis. You could look at your accounting records and determine what your gross receipts are. You could look at your bank statements and look at what your gross deposits are, right? So there's all these different ways to look at it. And there's been multiple times where, for example, we've had a client who was right on the edge and we said, hey, we're looking at it on your accounting records. We should probably look at your bank statements. Let's take a look at your bank statements and let's just verify that your bank statements match your accounting records. Because we know, listen, we're all small businesses. We know our books and our bank statements don't always balance for a myriad of reasons, right? And so we look at all those different calculations and, and lo and behold, I have one client who qualified for a six-figure loan because we just were thorough and we said, oh, hey, listen, based off this calculation, you qualify. I mean, he was ecstatic. And then the second thing we did is with the actually exact same client, and this is what we've done with every client, is we look at, because with the PPP2, we could look at 2019 numbers, we look at 2020 numbers. Again, we could pick the numbers that's most beneficial for us in terms of calculating the loan amount. The other thing we did is, okay, let's pause, because we started working with this particular client. We worked on him on the forgiveness side. We weren't involved with this particular client back in April when it came to the calculation side. So we redid all of his initial calculations. We found six figures of PPP loan that he was missing out on. That because he was rushing through the process last time, he just made some inadvertent errors and his loan you know, was six figures less. And he wasn't even a big borrower, right? You know, he only had a couple hundred thousand dollar loan. So again, just taking the time to kind of go through and double check the whole process, we found to be very beneficial. Seemed like the first loan they were just trying to get money out there. And there was a lot of people that were getting loans or getting PPP money that probably didn't deserve it. You know, you hear about large institutional financial firms. There was a local injury attorney company they published that, you know, got $11 million where, you know, his business wasn't being affected. Are those people going to have to pay that back? There's a couple of things that the SBA said. So they just came out with a procedural notice maybe about a week or so ago. And they said, basically, the SBA put the banks and the borrowers on notice and paraphrasing, but it said, listen, you know, as part of this bill, they allocated $50 million to the budget to detect and identify fraud. So, I mean, ultimately, that's all headcount. So that's a lot of people that they're going to hire to detect and identify fraud, which is good because like, to your point, there's a lot of people. I, I've seen you know folks get arrested from the FBI from taking money. I've seen people buy sports cars with it. I've seen people, which is really sickening. I've seen people make basically fraudulent claims saying they have a bunch of employees and then not really having those employees. And so you see these things pop in the news and, and it really bothers me because there are so many people who really do truly need this and you have people who are trying to take advantage of the system. So I'm really encouraged by the fact that one, there's so many budgetary resources that the SBA has put into detecting identifying fraud. One of the things they said, the SBA said that I think kind of put the banks, made them a little nervous. And so they're going about it much more slowly this time. There's a lot more verification, but basically they said, listen, 
we're going to go and we're going to audit files. And if we audit your file and we determine that there was a calculation that was made in error, and even if that error was made in good faith, and even if that error was reviewed by the bank and you know it was missed, and, and even if it went to the SBA and it was missed, and even if the client got forgiveness and it was missed and, and SBA approved forgiveness, if we audit it and find out there's a mistake, we're just going to ask for that money back, which kind of put the whole pause on the banks trying to, you know, rapidly fund the second round of loans. But, but again, like, you know, typically what we see, you know, one of three things happens, right? So, and this is an important reason why we like to just start fresh when we're doing PPP2, which is, well, you know, either you're going to find some mistakes that you made inadvertently and that you probably want to know about it, right? And rectify the situation. Maybe you miscalculated something and you got more money than you should have, which normally doesn't happen. Normally we've seen people in the second case, which is you didn't, take advantage of all the eligible expenses and there's extra money that you're legally entitled to. You know, or the third one is given the fact that there is so much more focus on fraud and correct calculations, we go through it and we say, hey, yep, those numbers match with what we think and life is good. So you know, really there's very limited downside that we see in terms of just, again, pausing and saying, hey, are we doing this the right way? It's better if you've got a large number of car washes or businesses it does make sense maybe to work with a broker instead of the bank. I think the bank right now, our bank is trying to push through as many as they can, and they're trying to get as much information as they can, but I'm sure they're overwhelmed. So if, if you've got a complex, large business, it would make sense maybe to identify a broker that could help you with it. I mean, most people are not doing what you're doing, Brad. Yeah, kind of the key thing is that there's a lot of moving parts to all of this. And, you know, the PPP is one of them. And we'll want to make sure we touch on kind of the other parts that fit in here. But especially now with the way the government's added, you know, the complexity around some of these tax credits, having a holistic view of kind of how all these pieces fit together becomes very important. Because you don't, I mean, you don't want to get caught in a blind spot or, or something you inadvertently don't see just because you're trying to put everything together. And that's kind of one of the things that we've seen is that, Having done this for, I know it's over 60, I've lost counting. We might have been close to 100 plus different companies we've helped with this. If you can imagine, I've probably seen it, right? And so we've helped folks who are, you know, small as a $60,000 loan, you know, up to folks who are, you know, well in the million dollars of loan size. The key thing is there's a lot of moving parts. And so one of the things we've seen is a lot of CPAs are starting to refer work over to us because they're just saying, listen, like, we want to help, but this is just outside our realm of expertise. And the banks, one of the things I've seen with the banks is they want to process these loans, but every bank has kind of a different threshold and kind of a different process and different system. You know, I had one bank who was just being so conservative. Rather than asking for just the required documents, they were asking for every type of potential document that the SBA listed, even though the SBA said, hey, listen, you can do this document or this document or this document. That bank went back to my client and said, well, we want all those documents. And it's like, oh my goodness, what are you guys doing? So that's one of the areas that we're working with clients is just kind of helping guide them through the process. And in the event, the bank kind of gets a little weird telling them, hey, listen, like you might be kind of asking a little bit more than, you know, than what's necessary and telling them the story of, this is what's going on. This is how we write the calculations. This is why we're at this number. Does that tie with what you guys are seeing? And once we start to do that with the bank, what we find is the bank goes, oh, got it. I see. I understand how you write it. Oh, that's helpful. Okay. Yeah. This helps my underwriting team. And again, it kind of just makes that process go that much smoother. Yeah. What are some of the other programs you're seeing out there? I know SBA has some loan programs. We took advantage of those loans programs. We were hoping those loans would be forgiven. But I just got a notice a couple of days ago that they're starting to set up the 
loan payment process. So I don't think the EIDL, is that correct? The EIDL, yeah. So it stands for Economic Impact Disaster Loans. So so yeah, so we have the PPP and the PPP2, which, you know, those are popular. Everyone knows, right? Free money. Hey, everybody runs for free money. We have the EIDL, which, you know, this was where we got our start back in March. It was before this was a streamlined application process. It was up to $2 million. It was the only eight out there. I've been a fan of the EIDL for some time because it provides a very, you know, extremely flexible form of capital to help businesses offset some of those interruptions, you know, and, and that cover those costs that came about is the interruption. To your point, it's not forgivable, but it is a very low cost uh, form of capital. So uh, 30-year terms, 3.75% interest. If you max out 150000 which is kind of the unofficial threshold right now, it's 700 bucks a month for the next 30 years, and you can pay it off anytime. And there's a grant that goes along with it. So effectively, the government's kind of saying, hey, here's $150,000 per business. And, you know, you're going to give you $10,000 to kind of like cover your payments you know, for a little bit. So very flexible, but not forgivable. They're now coming out with a targeted second round EIDL grant, which means that if your business is in certain communities that are designated as low income, if you individually are either a minority owned business owner, a woman business owner, a veteran business owner, there's going to be some targeted grants that are directed your way in the event that you didn't get that $10,000 grant. So the government's trying to kind of funnel money to businesses that have you know, traditionally found it difficult to access capital. So they've kind of earmarked some of that. That's coming out. SBA is kind of been slow playing that. You know, They're a little busy with PPP right now. So, But they're going to come out with some additional items either this week, possibly early next week. And then there's the ERTC. And this is a big one. So that the employee retention tax credits and this is where we're doing a lot of work right now. And these are tax credits. Now, they're payroll tax credits, not income tax credits. So it's a, a key distinction here. They're payroll tax credits, and they're potentially incredibly lucrative if you meet the qualifications. And the qualifications are there's a revenue reduction component, and there's a partial shutdown component to it, which I'll kind of touch on all that stuff in a second. But getting to keep in mind with the ERTCs is, up to anywhere between up to five to $7,000 per employee for these tax credits. So they add up very quickly. And you could do both the PPP and the ERTC, but the challenge being that you can't do both of exactly this. They can't overlap, but you could do, you could butt up against each other. So a lot of opportunity there to get some you know, really large tax credits that will either completely eliminate your payroll tax liability or even get a refund check directly from the IRS in that regard. So those are kind of the big three. And there's other programs as well, but those are the big three programs that every business owner should be aware of and be looking at. You did allude to some of the mistakes that people have been making. What are some of the common mistakes that you're seeing people make right now when they make application? You know, probably the most common one is on the PPP2 is just accepting what you were approved for last time. Right. Going back to your banks, the bank says, hey, you're approved, you know, apply here for the streaming application and, and you do that and you just kind of take you know, what was already given to you. I would say the majority of my clients, we go through and redo those calculations. The majority of them, when we redo them, there's more money on the table. You know, that's probably the number one mistake is just redo your calculations. Make sure you're capturing all your eligible expenses, your gross wages, your 401k contributions, your your health benefits. They expanded 
what your group health benefits include. So, you know, making sure you're capturing all of those and even small things like the state and local taxes you're paying on your, your folks. It's a small number, but again, you could be talking, you know, a couple thousand dollars extra that you're adding to it. So again, you know, if it takes just a few minutes to do it, there's no reason not to do it. That's probably the biggest one, the PPP. On the tax credit side, the ERTC, yeah, that's a minefield. And I'd say number one would be overlapping your covered periods. That's a big one. And that's a big no-no. Overlapping the tax credits with a covered period. You know, that's number one. Number two is being very clear in terms of if you meet your revenue reduction threshold, ensuring that you're capturing it for the entire period and being really clear on when that reduction ceases to make you eligible for the tax credit. That's a big one as well. And then I think, you know, with that is there's a lot of ambiguity around a full versus a partial shutdown and kind of how how a government order to limit your that limits commerce can affect you, especially if you're an automotive related business that may have been deemed essential. There's very specific requirements around were you partially shut down, were you fully shut down, did you receive an exemption, kind of all that sort of stuff. So a lot more nuance on on the tax credit side. Yeah. Sounds like it is a little bit dancing through a minefield to make sure you get everything you have coming to you, but yet not get too much. Our key thing is we want to maximize aid. And we think, you know, this should be everybody's and all of our clients buying this philosophy. We want to maximize aid, but do it legally and ethically in a way that's defensible. The cool thing about the people I work with is that I get this comment all the time, which is, Brad, hey, listen, I want everything that is due to me, but I don't want to take more than what's due to me. I love hearing that because, you know, one of the members of my team, Sarah, she comes from a banking background, a lending background, and, and she even ran her own business for a while. One of the things she says over and over, she's like, Brad, you know, the people who we work with are just, they're such cool, they're such good people. She's like, it's just so refreshing to be working with people who who want to do the right thing, but also want to take advantage of everything that's out there, you know, for them. So maybe I'm lucky, you know, I think you kind of attract what you put out there. And so, you know, we're lucky that we get to work with a lot of just, and that's the small business community, right? It's just upstanding people who they just want to do the right thing. I agree. I'm, I'm such a champion of small business. And I love small business owners because they're the, they are the backbone of our country in terms of economic or economic engine, but they're people that take risks. They're people that they decide, hey, I'm not going to go work for somebody else. I'm going to work for myself. I try to create a business. I'm going to try to generate value. And I, I think that those people should be applauded and rewarded. Yep. You know, you, you could say what you want about the crazy tough year we had and, and how there were a lot of mistakes in rolling out this government aid program. But you know what? When I take a step back and I look at all of 2020 and even the first month of 2021, what we did wasn't perfect. I have clients outside the US, I have a lot of clients in Canada. So I've seen how different countries are handling this. We were far from perfect, but you know what? We got the job done and it could have been a lot worse. And so I, you know, I'm incredibly thankful that, especially right now, right? You know, politics and Congress and government, like it's all so negative. When I think about what could have been and what was, I mean, there's a lot to be thankful for, even if it doesn't necessarily feel that way. Good. Well, I appreciate that. Sometimes I forget that uh, we got a lot of things to be thankful for. <laughs> it seems like it's been a it's been a crazy crazy twelve months, but I, you know we have another twelve months or twenty four months too that we're going to need to get through this. So, you know, looking for the good I think is an important important part of that. So, you know, we talked about the advantages of a broker. At what level should somebody like I've got a small business, I got a small limited menu restaurant business, we're going through PPP, where does it make sense for somebody to utilize your services? 
Yeah. Our smallest client has about five employees, right? And then, you know, our largest client has 80, 90 employees. So it's kind of, you know, everywhere in between. Really what it comes down to is what's your comfort level with, you know, uncertainty and, you know, what's your comfort level with with ambiguity? And, And if you're somebody who's highly comfortable with uncertainty and ambiguity, then a lot of the stuff I encourage, you know, people, hey, listen, like, just like you could do your own taxes, you could certainly, you know, do this on your own. You know, there's nothing that says you can't do your own taxes, nothing that says you can't go through this process. You know, what we've really found is our best relationships are clients who are looking to spend less time trying to navigate all the rules, right? You know, because they've already been spending two, three, four hours a week trying to navigate this. And folks who just, they want that second set of eyes to make sure they're doing it right. We have a, a massive guarantee. Nobody does this in professional services that I know of. And I took this because... You know, I grew up in a small business, right? I grew up in my, working in my dad's auto shop. In the auto space, you give a guarantee on everything you do, right? It's just, it's just part of what you do. And it's not because the shop has to redo a bunch of work. It's because that's the shop's way of saying, listen, no matter what happens, no matter what comes down the road, we've got you covered and we're here for you. And I, and I thought, you know, why does nobody in professional services do that? You know, why is there no guarantee? You know, the more I thought about it, there was no good answer. So we just said, listen, you know, we're going to put a 100% ROI guarantee. It basically says, listen, by any metric our client chooses, if you haven't achieved 100% return on your investment in us, then you could have your money back. We give that in writing to everybody. We've never obviously had to execute on that, but we do because it it's the right thing. I say that because what I found is if we can figure out the process that we both agree to, I'm pretty confident we can find a budget that works for folks. And so if you're a five-person operator, or a you know a hundred person operator. There's a varying degree of complexity that's involved here, but you know if we agree on the process, we'll figure out you know how to make that work for everybody. That's great. I love to hear that. I appreciate you doing that too, because that, that makes people feel a lot more comfortable. So, have you put your merger and acquisition consulting practice on the back burner, or what's gone on with you? It's still there. You know, we're licensed brokers, and it's certainly becoming as we've kind of come out of this phase, if you will. It's becoming a lot of folks are coming back and kind of saying, okay, I've gotten through this. I've gotten the money. I see things stabilizing. I've got my own forgiveness. I'm tired. (laughs) It's (laughs) what happens next. So, you know, that conversation is happening more and more. David, I, I remember I had this conversation multiple times in 2019 with business owners who were getting close to retirement age, they're starting to think about it. And a lot of times they would just say, hey, listen, you know what? I think I'm just going to like, if I just keep running the business, I can make the same money in three or four years and I do selling it. And I would say, yep, you're absolutely right. You can. And you know what you might be missing is the fact that there is risk involved in running the business. And we don't know what that risk is. And you don't know if you're going to lose a key customer or there's going to be a regulatory change or whatever it may be that puts your business at risk. Well, obviously in 2019, none of us were thinking about COVID. And I think a lot of people lived through COVID and went, oh, wow, like risk is real. The risk of running a business is real. I just lived through that. I don't know if I had the stomach to live through that again. That's coming back right now. You know, that's one thing we always talked about last year when selling our businesses. Our businesses were doing extremely well, but there is risk of running a business and you got to factor that in to when you sell a business. If you want to hang on to it for another five years, that's great, but there's risk in those five years. And who, like you're right, who would have thought 
that we would have ran into this pandemic and it would have done what it had done. And, you know, my timing of selling the washes was extremely fortunate mm-hmm. given what I'm hearing. Hey, you know what they say? It's, it's better to be lucky than to be right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I was, I was extremely lucky. So I agree. And I think everybody who thinks about selling their business, I did a great episode with an individual who works for a company called Exus Oasis, which helps small businesses. And he talks about the component of risk. There's always that risk. You know, you need to take that in consideration when you're either deciding to keep or sell your business. Anything happening on the institutional acquisition front? It seems like to me, especially the car wash industry, it was pretty frothy maybe two to three years ago. But I'm seeing that the institutional folks are being a lot more measured in terms of who they're going after and how much they're, they're just not paying 20 or 50 times earnings like everybody thinks their car wash is worth. You know, I'm seeing that kind of ratchet back a little bit. People are still getting great values for their businesses, but it's not what it was maybe 24 months ago. Are you seeing that? Yeah, you know, I think probably, so Lennon Green Partners, which is the owner of, of Mr. Car Wash, one of our partners made the comment the other day, which was consolidation has turned into a feature of the industry not a strategic advantage of the industry. And what he meant by that was that there are certain industries which will naturally consolidate over time. And I think you, know, you and I have talked about you know, kind of this natural evolution of consolidation of industry consolidation. And so the car wash industry went through a phase where that, that initial phase where there was rapid consolidation, and that really was a competitive advantage for certain businesses. But as the industry begins to mature to a certain extent, it becomes less of a competitive advantage and more of just this is something you have to be good at. It's something you have to be good at in order to survive. And if you look at, I think a great example of that is you look at the hardware store industry and they went through this consolidation cycle 30 years ago where you used to have a lot of you know, individually owner-operated hardware stores. And then you know, now it's, it's Home Depot, Lowe's and Ace Hardware. There's no more independence. And so it just turned into something that you had to do to be successful. And so it's kind of what we're seeing in the industry as well which is now it's it's being thoughtful about how to expand and and where to expand. So there's still certainly institutional capital very interested in the industry. It still provides a great place, you know, great return of capital. Even despite the pandemic and the decrease in miles driven, we're seeing relatively strong returns in miles driven across the country. You know, this is still very geographically centric. And so we actually look at miles driven on a, on a county by county basis. So that has a big impact. But yeah, anytime you have a, a shock like this, it causes people to, to slow down a little bit. With that said, you know, I think the big news is so Driven Brands just had an IPO. Driven Brands owns a number of automotive assets, including the IMO Car Wash Group. And so they are now public and IMO was public you know, prior in the UK. And this is part of the consolidated return, but you know so they're now public. They're excited about the car wash business. They want to deploy more capital in the car wash business. So it'll be interesting to kind of see how that plays out over time. No doubt, it'll be interesting to see private companies versus public companies and see how they they kind of treat this industry. So, Brett, good stuff. I love visiting with you. Your wealth of knowledge. You seem to have a lot of great connections, and really appreciate what you're doing in the PPP and loan space. If somebody wants to get a hold of you, what's the bed? And they want maybe to talk about consulting services. It's interesting. Like you said, you can't rely on your accountant to have expertise on this, right? So there's nowhere to go. You go to your bank, they're trying to just get the loans out. 
zoombrad.com z-o-o-m like zoom like the screen sharing app zoombrad.com is the best way to get a hold of me the way it works is kind of you, know, you probably fall in the, you know, one of three categories right after you listen to this you know one you go oh wow you know this is good information i'd love to know more let's talk about it brad zoom brad you might be wondering well tell me a little bit more i'm not not quite sure same thing you know kind of if you fall in either one of those buckets let's schedule a call and we'll spend some time diving a little bit deeper in these aid programs right and figuring out what you might qualify for Again, like I said earlier, what package makes sense for your size business? So if you follow me on those two buckets, zoombrad.com. But to your point about accountants, and we work with a lot of accountants, and I always say, listen, we're on the same team. The challenge that we see on the accounting side is that most accountants, and they play an important role, but they play a role on the compliance side. They play a role on, I could do my own taxes, but I don't. I have to pay my CPA, they don't. Why? Because I need to make sure I file things on time. I got to make sure I file the right forms at the right time and I put the right numbers in the right box. And that's an important role to have, right? But most accounts, one, they're focused on the income tax side of things, especially on the, as we're talking about here, the payroll tax. So you know, different parts of tax that we're talking about. But the other thing, there's so many moving parts to this, right? Because there's the PPP, there's what's called you know covered wages, there's the your covered period on top of your covered wages. There's how do you actually file for and get these things. So, you know, unless you're in it every day, all day, it's hard to keep track of all these moving parts. And so that's why, you know, we have a lot of accounts that just say, hey, Brad, could you could you do this for our clients? Because we're trying to do our income tax returns. Like, that's what we got to get done for our clients is income tax returns. We don't have time to keep track of all this other stuff. So, you know, we all have our specialties and we're all on the same team. We're all, you know, trying to get the same thing done. So good. So Zoom. Zoombrad.com, all one word, zoombrad.com. And that goes straight to my calendar. You just grab a time. It'll be a time with me. I don't, I don't, you know, push you off to an associate thing. Just come straight to me and we'll have a half hour conversation. And at the end of it, you'll know exactly what programs are out there, what you'll qualify for, what the amount is. We will decide, hey, you know, if it makes sense to work together, we'll pick a program and get to work. At the very least, you'll know exactly what's out there and, you know, what you have to do to go out there and get it. Perfect. Good stuff. Good stuff. Brad, thank you so much. It's been enjoyable. We'll do it again. I look forward to it. It's always enjoyable, David. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Car Wash the Podcast. We want to get this podcast in the hands of more people in the industry. So tell your friends and associates about this podcast. You can get Car Wash the Podcast on any platform that you get podcasts on or simply go to our website, carwashthepodcast.com. For Brad Mavis and David Begin, thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time and keep washing those cars. Car Wash the Podcast is your source for real stories and real business insights from the experts, both in and out of the car wash industry. Our show helps investors, owners, operators, and managers think about ways to enhance their business. Our podcast is a free, on-demand audio program that provides information on the latest trends impacting the industry, tips from successful industry leaders, and inspiration for our listeners.